Hi, and welcome to the Full Bloom Project, a body positive parenting podcast dedicated to promoting emotional wellness in our children and health at every size for the whole family. Each week, we speak with extraordinary experts and distill everything from scholarly research to self-help books into accessible and digestible daily parenting practices. We're your hosts, Leslie Block and Zoe Bisbing, both New York City-based adolescent eating disorder psychotherapists and mothers of two, here to help you help your children fully bloom. Full Bloom Podcast is sponsored by listeners like you. Pitch in to keep this podcast going strong so that you and your care providers can help your children fully bloom. To learn more about how you can support us, please visit fullbloomproject.com slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. As a patron of the podcast, you will gain access to the complete A to Z Guide to Body Positive Parenting. This interactive and downloadable guide contains a wealth of content, including research and resources to help you put the fundamentals of body positive parenting into action, as well as practical daily tips. Again, this complete A to Z guide to body positive parenting is now an exclusive benefit to our patrons. To learn more about sponsoring us and supporting the Full Bloom podcast, please visit fullbloomproject.com slash Patreon. Leslie, where are we? (laughs) We are in the Seattle airport right now. It's 10.22 p.m. We're sitting on the floor in a corner. We are going daily style for this podcast. (laughs) Yes. And we are leaning into the imperfection of the sound quality. (laughs) So we wanted to share this really nice conversation we had with someone who has been really important, uh, kind of the backbone to this podcast or the beginnings of it. Um, Yeah, and his name is Michael Levine, and we're going to introduce him a little bit more formally in a moment. But for those of you that have been following the journey of the Full Bloom podcast, you may know that Leslie and I were friends before we embarked on this project together. And should we tell a little bit about our story, how we met? Yeah. Yeah. We met in graduate school at New York University in, what, 2010? gosh and bonded over a shared interest in getting into maybe eating disorder treatment body image work and just we were just like fast friends right we were we had a nice couple laps around washington square park in which we met each other and realized we should we should hang out we should go get coffee and that proceeded we proceeded to have many, many coffee dates. Many, many coffee dates. And then we even proceeded to work together after grad school. And what else did we do at the same exact time? Well, we started having lots of dinner dates. Mm-hmm. And then we both got married right about the same right. time. We kind of swapped last names. Swapped last you took names. block. I used to be black. We're not joking. This is <laughs> totally true. And... 
We had babies around the same time. We sat for our licensing exam, like nine months pregnant. I'm pretty sure I was having contractions in the exam. (laughs) (laughs) We passed. We passed. And then we both opened up a private practice just about the same time. And we both became certified in family-based treatment for adolescents with anorexia. And throughout this time, we stayed meeting up with each other as often as we can to kind of commiserate and get support. And to have a good time and preserve our friendship despite the limited time we had. And, you know, as we, we... fully disclose our the work we do is hard and treating eating disorders is very hard and we got really motivated to figure out what we could do on the front end right to you know how could we get to parents before they needed us how could we put ourselves out of business right that's right and then we started thinking about this and going on retreats together and um, trying to think through what we could do. And that's kind of where Michael Levine comes into the picture. You knew about Michael before I did. Michael runs a newsletter called the Levine Prevention Sociocultural Factors Group. And every single day, he sends out a list of at least five, usually ten, really relevant prevention, eating disorder prevention, body image um, dissatisfaction prevention articles. And I started reading them and I started thinking, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I want to do something with this. I want to call up these researchers and talk to them. And from there, the podcast was kind of born. Yeah. And then Leslie turned me on to him and his newsletter, his tiny letter, as he calls it. And flash forward, here we are today interviewing him on the Full Bloom podcast. So to formally introduce Michael Levine, Dr. Michael Levine, he's an emeritus professor of psychology at Kenyon College where he taught for 33 years in the field of eating disorders. His commitment to research, writing, and activism focuses on the intersection between sociocultural risk factors, prevention, community psychology, and developmental psychology. He's truly a lovely man, and he's a dad. And we're so happy he's here. Michael, welcome to the Full Bloom Project. You, Michael, are actually a big part of, whether you knew it or not, you're a big part of the impetus for the Full Bloom Project. And so we do want to kind of just remind you about that. And I think, Leslie, um, connecting with you in the first place and connecting me to you and your newsletter, um, it, it's it's actually been really uh, meaningful to us. And we want our listeners actually to know about that part of our process, that part of our story. and and also who you are and what you do. Yeah. My gosh. Uh, so you're going to start off by making me cry. Oh, I guess so. so. Uh, that, does, so. that doesn't seem fair. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, sorry. I do want to um, kind of acknowledge that there's a potential for listeners to be curious about your newsletter. And so I want to, I want to ask you what, my sense is your newsletter is is for um, clinicians, um, right? That's correct, right? Like, no, it's not correct. Oh, oh, okay, good. Can you correct the, me? The um, the newsletter is um, 
for anyone who can pass the entrance exam, which consists of the statement, I want to be on your newsletter. Okay, wonderful. So then we can share that with our listeners. Yes, and um, on a more serious note, one of the things that is meaningful for me and and I think will be for you and your listeners as well, and and is a follow-up to your interest in the newsletter and to this podcast, and that is if there's a 12-year-old girl or boy who's listening to this and says, wow, I want to be a part of that, they pass the test. Mm -hmm. Uh, If there's a grandmother who is a retired physician, a retired nurse, a retired uh, businesswoman who still wants to make a difference in people's lives, they contact me, they pass the test. So uh, to the extent that you folks are trying to, and, and I think succeeding in building a movement, emphasizing proactive parenting and its positive effects, not only on body image, but many other things as well. The newsletter is open to (laughs) new generations, new parents, older parents, grandparents, people who choose not to be parents. Uh, It's open to anyone who wants to be a part of it and is willing to um, receive the the potpourri of things that I send out, <laughs> ranging from uh, opportunities to participate in advocacy at the state government and federal government level to what's going on recently in research on prevention to um, what's happening in podcasts that I'm aware of to how, if you had an idea, could you get it across to 70,000 people? who are interested in what you're interested in. So this is all by way of saying that uh, I would like to emphasize that um, I welcome anyone who's interested. I think the youngest person on my list at the moment is 14 or 15, Mm. but that doesn't mean that you couldn't be one of those mighty girls Mm -hmm. who's, you know, nine or 10 or 11 or one of the, or a boy who feels that sense of injustice that, we all have come to experience on a daily basis. Well, that wants to wants to be part of change. That's a wonderful message for our listeners to hear, and um, we we have that capacity on our website um, that people can find you via that that way as well. Um, yes, and and, and I'm, I can give my email address and just mm-hmm. encourage people who want to contact me to yeah just email me and say. Put me on the list. Was that five words? Yes. Put me on that list. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, Well, go ahead. Say that email address because this is the the podcast. The email is my last name, Levine, L-E-V as in Victor, I-N-E, at K-E-N-Y-O as in Oscar, N dot E-D-U. So it's Levine at Kenyon. .edu and Kenyon is the college not the country <laughs> k e n y o n .edu 
Great. I wonder if um, you could tell our listeners what the, your background is, how you came to produce this newsletter, and what it means to you. My background, interestingly, is not in clinical psychology, nor is it, at least originally, in anything having to do with eating disorders per se, or with body image, or with a number of topics that revolve around that. I have a PhD in experimental psychology, which I obtained in the mid to late 1970s. And although I did a doctoral dissertation related to males and male gender role and coronary heart disease, I didn't really think a whole lot about gender roles. I didn't think a whole lot about the relationship between culture and gender roles, even though type A behavior is clearly embedded in culture uh, and the definitions of masculinity at the time. Um, I got involved in all of this as a volunteer for the domestic violence shelter in the tiny county where I was an assistant professor in psychology. My wife was one of the founding mothers of the domestic violence shelter in the early 1980s there in central Ohio. And until that time, I had never talked to anyone but a student about anything related to psychology. I had never really thought much about gender and gender roles and bodies and embodiment or disembodiment and power and so on. And uh, my eyes were open to a number of things by educating myself in the area of domestic violence and by beginning to speak to community members, particularly men, about the ways in which unhealthy attitudes and unhealthy practices were literally embedded in what it meant to be a man and often what it meant to be a man in relation to women. And during, I think it was 1982, a woman who was the only paid employee of the Mental Health Association in Knox County, Ohio, Norma Flayton, saw me give a talk and asked me if I would come and speak to a group of people who all had bipolar disorder themselves or in their families. And I said, I'm not a clinician. And she said, doesn't matter. You know about this, which I did because I was teaching abnormal psych. And little did I know that she wasn't as interested in that talk as she was in grooming me to be a part of the mental health association. Hmm. And do you know how this works? Before I knew it, I was not only on the board of the mental health association, I was the chair of the education <laughs> committee. <laughs> and before I knew it, against my own better judgment, I was meeting with an organization in Columbus, Ohio, that was devoted to understanding and treating eating disorders, which I had barely heard of in 1982. Uh, I was teaching abnormal psych at the end of every textbook was a small section, maybe two paragraphs about anorexia nervosa, and it came across under the heading of weird disorders that you'll probably never encounter and may not actually exist. Hmm. Wow. And I was stunned to find that not only were these 
disorders appearing in fairly large numbers on college campuses, including the one I was teaching at. But there was an organization in Columbus, Ohio, about 50 miles away, that was devoted to understanding and treating these disorders and raising awareness about them. I mean, this came to me in the same fashion that learning about black holes and Einstein and gravitational waves and so on came. It's like, what? Are are you kidding me? Um, How do I not know about this? And before I knew it, this is what happens when people like me come into the presence of powerful, influential women who have something to say and really are people of substance. Before I knew it, I was in charge of putting on what came to be the first Eating Disorders Awareness Week in the world. Wow. Wow. In this little county in the middle of nowhere, Ohio. (laughs) Uh, And so that's how I got (laughs) taken up into the eating disorders area as a volunteer. It really wasn't initially related at all to what I was trying to do as a new assistant professor at a small liberal arts college in Ohio. But before I knew it, I was writing a book about schools and eating disorders for the National Education Association because one of its central managers had once gone to Kenyan for one semester before leaving in disgust. (laughs) But he was still getting the newsletter that Kenyan sends out to alumni and he saw my name and something about what I was doing and contacted me and said, how would you like to write a book about eating disorders for the National Education Association? We have two million members. And I said, okay. (laughs) And before I knew it, another year gone by, I was standing in Washington, D.C. at the National Press Club in front of a bank of microphones answering questions about this book. It's been a long, strange trip, to coin a phrase. Um, (laughs) And one thing has led to another. And without pushing the analogy too strongly with um, uh, the Full Boom Project, often against my better judgment, I have had the great fortune of being in the presence of parents, for want of a better concept, people who cared about me, people who wanted to see me do well, people who were willing to say to me, no, you're doing this wrong, People were willing to listen and say, no, we need to be doing this, or I understand where you're coming from, but think about it this way. And at first, there was my wife, uh, Mary Saddam, whose field is medieval history and, and women and gender studies and religious studies. And it was her feminism that really got me interested. And then it was Amy, now Amy Dennis, who was one of the founders of the Academy for Eating Disorders, who was the director of that program in Columbus. Then it was my colleague, Linda Smolak, who is probably the world's foremost developmental psychologist working in the area of body image and eating disorders. And Margot Main and (laughs) Neva Piran, and I could go on and on with the, the number of women who have been influential as mentors, influential as models, influential as, I use the term loosely here, parents, who were there for me to guide me through and into things that I didn't understand, that I wasn't prepared for, but somehow I was 
prepared enough to say, I need to know more about this. I need to get involved in this. I need to take a chance and learn about and fill in the blank, weight stigma, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, domestic violence, uh, child sexual abuse, but also the fashion industry, Mm -hmm. uh, medicine and uh, anthropology. I mean, all these topics that I spent years avoiding as a graduate student and a professor in psychology, sociology, history, women's studies, literature, medical anthropology, economics, all these topics I spent avoiding. That was a big mistake. And these people (laughs) helped me to see not only how little I needed to know, I, I, I knew, but how much I, good I could do if I, if I knew just a little and started learning more. So I, you know, Michael, as you tell your story um, and you make that analogy to sort of the parents, these sort of metaphoric parents that have mm-hmm. taught you and shaped you and encouraged you and, you know, just helped, helped you bloom, if I may, um, professionally, I wanted to pull out this question that is a listener question that made, you know, when you were, when, when you were just talking this, this quite, I'm thinking about this question. It makes me think about when we as children or adult children, let's say, want to take on a parenting role with regard to helping our parents, our grandparents, our aunts and uncles, sort of other adults in our lives and in our children's lives, take on that parenting role to try to get some of this education um, shared to an older generation. I bring this up because a listener shared with us, she's a big fan of the Full Bloom Project. She listens every week. She has a two and a half year old son. She has a very close relationship with her parents and her grandmother. And she has said some of the language that I'm learning through the Full Bloom Podcast it sounds very 2019 and I'm wondering how to broach this like no body talk and, you know, body positivity and all this sort of new jargon and really new paradigm that she has now because she's feeling enlightened, how to broach this with her parents who grew up in a different time, her grandmother who she adores, but also, you know, spoke to her mother in a way that was not so informed and, you know, what what should she do? And, you know, Leslie and I thought you'd be a great person to sort of run that question by and just see what you have to say. All the years I've been doing this, all the places I've spoken, things I've written, I'm not sure anyone has ever asked me that question before. <laughs> um, not in that form. I've had a question in the form of, I don't know what to do with my parents. You know, I want to raise my son in a different way than I was raised. And they're giving him, always giving him blue things and my daughter pink things. I mean, I've had that kind of question, but the question you're asking me is much more specific. Let me see if I can address it in a couple of ways. First, it makes me think of the one time that I spoke of all the hundreds of talks I've given, I spoke at Northern Illinois University at the invitation of one of my closest friends in the field, Kathy Hotelling, who's retired now. She was the head of the counseling center at Northern Illinois University. And she said I was going to give a talk in an auditorium there. And I asked her how many people 
would be there. And she said, well, it's hard to say, probably 200 or so. And I said, all right. And she said, although it's possible there'll be more because the fraternities and the sororities get credit, community service credit, believe it or not, for attending a talk like yours. Hmm. <laughs> it made me, at the time, I thought, well, that's interesting. What I'm doing, I hope, is a community service. And yet, <laughs> I'm not sure that's what the phrase means. <laughs> I didn't really pay any more attention to it than that. Well, I got there and people started coming in and people started coming in and people kept coming in. The talk was delayed 20 minutes because somewhere between 900 and 1,000 people Wow. Came, came wow. to the talk. And I thought, wow, I've really got something to say here. <laughs> you know, this this whole thing that started with domestic violence, this really pan this is the Y chromosome talking here. I should have ignored it. But this is the Y chromosome talking here and the kid who grew up with the Rolling Stones and all, and I'm seeing myself on stage in front of this large audience with a microphone and this is gonna be great, you know. I mean, people are finally getting the message. Well, the reason I bring this up to you is that it is the one and only time I have ever been heckled in a talk I've given. And by heckled, I mean people talking over me, people making uh, fairly crude jokes, people whistling at um, uh, some of the slides of objectification I showed and all. And I could feel in my throat and in my chest not just my anger and, and embarrassment rising, but my anxiety, all those memories of being picked on as a kid, you know, body image kind of memories as a small, weak kid with curly hair back in the 60s. I really felt like this is horrible. And I mean, I know what I'm going to say next. And then somehow it struck me. Wait a second. I've got a microphone and they don't and I'm standing up on a stage and they're sitting down. And so I raised my voice in kind of an angry fashion and I said, everybody be quiet. And they did for a moment. And this is where it's relevant to your question. And I think you'll see the connection. I said to them, I get it. That you're not buying what I'm saying. And I get it that some of you came just to get credit and you don't really care about this at all. And I get it that you disagree with me or you think I'm old fashioned. You could substitute that I'm too new wave or I, this is too radical. I get it. And in fact, in a moment, everyone who wants to can stand up and leave with no loss of credit. No, no, you just have to show people that you want nothing to do with this and you leave. Before you do, I've got four or five questions I want to ask you. And I made these up on the spot. And I could send them to you um, if you like to post them on your website. I have them in slide forms, but I could certainly send them to you. Yes. I said, I said, and this is, you wouldn't say this in the kind of forceful <laughs> assertiveness come anger that I said them to these people. But I think you could say these to your grandparents. You, you make time to speak with them, not with the kids present, just make time to speak with them and time to talk with them, not 
a rushed conversation in the car, taking the kids to soccer practice, but a real conversation with them. You say, hear me out. This is really important to me. And I believe very important to the kids. I didn't say that to the, but so I said, here's the thing. I want you to stand up and be counted. You're raising your voice over mine. You clearly want to be heard. Well, stand up and be heard and counted. If you agree with the following statements, women and girls should grow up self-conscious, anxious, and preoccupied in regard to their bodies. And I said it again louder, self-conscious, preoccupied, anxious, and often ashamed of their bodies. If you believe that is the way things should be, stand up and be counted. There was dead silence and no one stood. I said, come on, looking at several of the guys and now I'm losing it because I'm thinking about those people that bullied me and called me a word that rhymes with bag and starts with F because I had curly hair and I was thin and I had long eyelashes. Trying not to lose it in front of the audience, as you might imagine here, <laughs> but I'm angry mm-hmm. and I have a Y chromosome and a microphone and a PhD. And <laughs> not, not a great combination, but I'm, I'm thinking, you know, stand up and be counted. And I said, if you feel that the world ought to be nicer and fairer and more understanding and accepting of males than females, stand up and be counted. If you feel that women and girls do not have the same right, and I said it again, the same right to eat the same kinds of food that males do, stand up and be counted. If you feel, and I went on with this, you can imagine where this goes. So I think you can frame what you see as the negative effects based on your own upbringing, based on your understanding of the literature, based on your clinical work, if you happen to be a therapist. If you can frame all the negative effects having to do with body image and disordered eating and weight management, all the self-consciousness, all the anxiety, all the wasted money, the wasted effort, the waste of our needed resources that is wasted in weight and shape preoccupation and disordered weight management and disordered eating in weight stigma and so on. If you can frame those effects in a series of statements and ask your siblings, the kids, aunts and uncles, ask your parents or your own grandparents, their great grandparents, ask when you get a chance, their coaches, their teachers, the significant adults in their lives, your best friend, so on. Ask them, do they really deep in their hearts feel that this is the way things ought to be. Some of them will say, that's just the way things are biologically. But most of them will look at you and say, what are you asking me? And you say it again directly. Is this really what you feel? 
I think most of them are going to say no. Some of them may get emotional and say, well, that's how I was raised. Or, and this may, this may be a long conversation. I'm telescoping this because, as many of us know, just to get our parents and our, or our siblings to sit down and listen to us is an achievement unto itself, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and that's important. But you, if you can do that, then I think conveying from your heart, from your very being, that this is important to me or important to us. If you have a partner, it's important to us, really important to us. And for some of us, like you folks and me, it's important to who we are as people and parents. It's important to who we are as aunts and uncles and friends. It's important to who we are as professionals. It's important to who we are as citizens in a society that desperately needs to change in this regard and so many others. But I'm just going to say this conversation is not necessarily an easy one to have. And you know that those people who look at you and say, no, honey, we don't want that. But what can anybody do? What can anybody do in the face of advertising? What can anybody do given the impact of social media? What can anybody do vis-a-vis peer pressures? What can anybody do vis-a-vis both the medical and the psychological professions, which are rampant with this kind of weight stigma and all kinds of bizarre thoughts about weight and shape and health and so so on? Um, What can anybody do? We've all faced that too. Who am I to take on the U.S. government? Who am I to take on Calvin Klein? Who am I to take on? That's another conversation. But you and I both know from this podcast and from your lives that the first the first statement in, in response to that is I understand your question and it is a helpless feeling. And you need to know that the first response is it's not who are you? It's who are we? Because you are not alone. This podcast is evidence that you are not alone. This podcast, my uh, tiny letter email group which in population terms is extraordinarily tiny. It's less than a thousand people. And yet it started as eight people, seven actually, in two countries. There were eight of us. I keep saying eight. There were seven of us in two countries. And we were interested in prevention at a time when very few people were. So we decided to use this new invention, this new technology. You may have heard of it. It's called email. (laughs) I mean, it was unbelievable. Email, you could actually communicate by typing with people in another state. (laughs) You could email somebody in Indiana instead of calling them on the phone or writing them a letter. It was unbelievable. And so I, I started sending a few of my friends in the prevention area, and there were very few of us who identified who were out of that closet as prevention people. I started sending them emails saying, hey, did you see this article? Hey, did you see this conference? Or, hey, I ran into a person from Illinois (laughs) who is interested in now there's Illinois and Indiana and Ohio. Wow. Isn't that great? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Three states in a row. Um, And this is how it got started. And through something that uh, Neva Piran in Canada, who was the only person not in the United States on the original list, Neva said, this is how you 
build change. This is how you build that connection and, and relationship is through relationships. And now that tiny letter list is over 800 people in 43 countries. Hopefully more after this podcast airs. <laughs> well, yeah, I hope so. And, and sometimes five or six people join after hearing a podcast, sometimes 10, and sometimes no one does. It, it's, a, it's a slow process in some ways doing it this way. And some of you are thinking, you're using email to build? Um, what, what are you, nuts? And I always joke, you know, I don't think Facebook is really going to catch on. So, you know, I don't use it. But it's for others who really are more savvy than I am, not just because they may be younger, they may be older than I am. But there's plenty of room for people who think if they're listening, I want to support what Zoe and Leslie are doing. I'm, I'm on board for some of the things he's talking about. And he's using email. If you're thinking that, there's room for you in this movement. Mm-hmm. Whether you're a parent or not, you could do a heck of a lot of good by leveraging what you know about Facebook, Instagram, all these various things, some of them which I don't even know exist, uh, YouTube, and so on. Um, that's not my place at the moment, but there are plenty of places and this is this is what I'm excited about is that I I feel like even in the 20 years that I've been doing this email list and the 35 years I've been involved in prevention, there have been tremendous changes. And I'm very excited about that. Yeah, that's I think that's a nice place to just end on that note even though there's so much more that we'd like to talk with you about but we'll save it for another podcast because I think that's just where we're at right now there's so much room for this to grow and from my experience your newsletter has so much really solid information to take and grow with Um, and I'm so grateful for you taking the time every single day. I mean, for listeners listening, we get an email every single day. Is it seven days a week or five days a week? I'm trying to make it seven. It's it's amazing. Uh, and it's so much information every single day. And just, I mean, the podcast came from just the idea of talking to one of those researchers once a week from, you know, the 20 that you've sent, you yeah. know, and to to have a, a, a voice for them in a different way on a, on a podcast. And I just, I think that it's, it's great. You have come, you just kind of cull all the research for us and give us all this stuff to think about every single day. And it's well, an amazing, it's my, it's, you know, I, I feel this is kind of what I do and who I am. And you're great at it. Uh, and and, and, and uh, in, in many ways, I'm privileged to know people like you who are doing what I consider to be the actual frontline work. Mm. And that ranges from putting on a podcast and, and arranging for that to clinical work to I'm sure all the things you do I don't know about. <laughs> and... Um, I would like to see people having more of these conversations um, via podcast, but also with their friends, with their um, church or synagogue or mosque, with their parent groups at school. And it's not always going to be with people who agree with us. It's not always going to be with people who are ready to hear it. It's not always going to be with people who um, 
you even want to be talking to. And I'm so grateful that you answered this listener question as you did, because one of the things that can happen is we can just start talking. It's like preaching to the choir, right? Like um, everybody on that newsletter is relatively philosophically aligned. Um, And our goal certainly is to bring some of this into communities that are able to disagree and then start to take in new ideas or wrestle with new ideas. So I think you've given us and with those questions that we'll we'll follow up to get them uh, from you via email or the slides to, you know, try to start these conversations with the hardest people to talk to this stuff about, not necessarily just the people you know will agree. So I I think definitely to be continued. Right. Well, thank you so much. Okay. Take care. We're back at the airport, <laughs> and that was our show. I really loved that, that interview with Michael Levine in, the, in, the, in your closet. And it's great to talk to him, and he's so inspiring. And uh, I just am so grateful for his contribution to this field. Yes, me too. And hopefully you can hear us <laughs> under the loud announcement happening. Uh, we're gearing up for the loud noise of New York City, apparently. They're getting us ready here in Seattle. Yeah, so, you know, if you have anything that you want to share that came up during this episode, please send us an email at info at fullbloomproject.com or a comment on our Instagram. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, we would greatly appreciate you leaving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts so more people can find the podcast. Don't forget about our Patreon initiative, fullbloomproject.com slash Patreon, if you'd like to consider supporting the podcast in a more formal way. Thank you all for listening. And remember to tune back in next time for more body positive parenting wisdom. Mm-hmm.